And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. It's the uh, hump day edition of The Real Investment Show. Of course, that means Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. And we'll be touching a little bit about, you know, this morning, mass mandates potentially coming back. What does that mean for the economy? You know, the whole COVID vaccine, uh, you know, issue kind of went away here for a little bit. Now it's starting to come back. What does that mean for the markets? I mean, even conversations now potentially out of the White House about maybe going back to shutdowns. Can't imagine that would be the case, but... We'll certainly talk about that a little bit more this morning as uh, we kind of get into the show. But I do want to kind of catch you up on what's happening with markets overnight because, again, this is super big earnings week for the S&P 500. And as we've been talking about here for the last you know few days, the markets had a tremendous rally here after coming down, touching the 50-day moving average. We had a very sharp surge in the S&P 500 in particular and the NASDAQ as retail investors. In fact, if you take a look at the flow of retail investors and, and what they did, there was a huge buying spree by retail investors coming off that 50-day moving average. So again, not surprising here. Markets have had a little bit of lift here going into earnings season. Uh, ETF flows this year, uh, so the exchange-traded funds. So through the first half of this year, there have been more money being poured into exchange-traded funds than ever before in history. Now, part of this is people moving out of actual mutual funds into ETFs, but Outside of that, there's also been a tremendous amount of inflow actually going into ETFs. So the point is, is there's a lot of people chasing this market. So this market continues to kind of elevate higher. We've talked about yesterday uh, with respect to the next Minsky moment. What happens when you have a lot of QE and easy credit is that leads to speculative booms in markets. Of course, we've talked about this for a while. And again, low volatility periods, as we said yesterday, tend to lead to higher volatility periods. So, but right now we're in a low volatility period, which means that there just really isn't a lot of concern about the markets. But that also, you know, starts to provide some challenges. As an example, um, we've got some really good earnings. Last night, Apple reported really kind of blowout earnings and uh, across the board beating both top and bottom line. Have, have had a big pickup and a spike for demand for phones as people are kind of, you know, getting back out into the world of working and getting their things together. Um, but Apple's very extended from their 50 and 200 day moving average. So as a function of that, I mean, there's only so far that prices can rise and prices ran up into earnings. And so despite the fact that they had really good earnings, not getting really paid a whole lot for that. In fact, Apple's expected to open down just a little bit this morning. So again, you know, a lot of the good news, uh, so to speak, has already actually been priced into the markets. But it's not just Apple. Amazon as well has been, uh, you know, kind of very elevated here above long-term moving averages, very extended, got earnings coming up on that. Um, also, Microsoft reported earnings yesterday beat, bot, bot, beat on top and bottom line. I'll spit that out. But again, you know, this, the extension of these particular FANG stocks in general are so elevated above long-term means that you're eventually going to get a, a reversion of that mean. But what this also suggests is that most of the good news is already baked into the, 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 the earnings announcement. So as these companies are announcing really good earnings, 
most of the price run has already been built into this. Google's going to be up today um, at the open, uh, but not a whole lot. Had fantastic earnings, but the stock will be up here a little bit this morning, mostly just kind of recovering yesterday's sell-off. But again, massive extensions from long-term moving averages. So again, the eventual correction back to the longer-term means is going to be significant at some point. But again, that's down the road somewhere. Uh, right now, you know, earnings are good. You know, expectations are good. Outlooks are strong. And of course, corporate margins, you know, and particularly when people are taking a look at profit margins, corporate profit margins are very, very strong right now. And this is because of the effect of the shutdowns, right? So talking about uh, COVID and, and the shutdowns that we did, this was actually very good for corporate bottom lines because they were able to reduce work staff, right? Labor costs are some of your most, some of your highest cost of running any business. Um, also reducing office space. A lot of offices got shut down. A lot of uh, space got shrunk because people are working at home. And then, we, then corporations also went out and spent a lot of money on technology, which has been boosting companies like Apple and Microsoft because they started transitioning more to technology to reduce the demand for labor. This has all been huge benefits to corporate profit margins. And in fact, over the, this last really kind of four reporting period since we've gone through COVID, corporate mar profit margins have just simply exploded for a lot of these companies. So they're not creating any more revenue growth. Revenue growth at the top line remains exceptionally weak. In fact, revenue growth for this quarter will actually be less than it was last quarter, despite the fact that we're having record earnings so far. You know, we're, we're seeing slower rates of revenue growth at the top line. Well, this is because people don't have any money to spend, right? They're out of work, they're at home, they're living on what they've got. Wages really aren't growing that much. So it's hard to generate more revenue at the top line when wages aren't really growing with the economy. Um, but when you have all these other cost-cutting benefits and measures, corporate profit margins get very juicy very quickly. So that's really what's been going on here. But here's the point about what we're saying is that we're, we're right in the midst. This is the heart this week of earnings announcements. McDonald's out this morning, double-digit beat on, on their top and bottom line. Stock's not really getting rewarded that much. Why? Because, well, it's already been priced into the markets. And that's one of the challenges that we're gonna to continue to kind of work through here over the next few weeks is, is this really kind of as good as it gets for the markets? I mean, you're getting very strong earnings growth. This is the peak of economic growth for sure. And as we see really kind of earnings growth, uh, uh, economic growth start to fade over the rest of this year. In fact, I've got an article coming out on this on Monday. We're already starting to see that peak of economic growth, which will also translate into a peak of earnings growth. So earnings growth will that that rate of growth. Now earnings will still grow, the economy will still grow. It's just the speed at which it grows will start to slow down rather markedly over the course of the next couple of quarters. So for stocks in particular, if they're not getting rewarded now for the rate of earnings growth that they're getting. This has become, become a, a bit more problematic as we start to move out into the next couple of quarters of the year. But, but again, you know, we're long these stocks as well in our portfolio. Apple, Microsoft, Google, we own these companies. We took profits in Apple just a few days ago, right, really just right here before the announcement. We were a little bit concerned about them potentially meeting earnings because of the fact of you know, chip supply shortages, et cetera. And that's gonna be one of the things that weighs on Apple here in particular going out over the next couple of quarters is going to be 
a shortage of chips, again, to create Apple iPhones. We also took profits in, in Microsoft as well. Stocks just had a huge run up here. And again, even though their earnings were good, there's not a lot of upside benefit here in Microsoft at this point. Again, still long the position. We just took in some of our profits because of this really accelerated run. Same thing for Google as well um, as we take a look at, at these companies because as we, again, to look at just some of these extensions from long-term means, as I said before, just made sense to bring in some profits, kind of rebalance the portfolio here a bit in particular because these are very, you know, big stocks. They're a lot, they're very liquid. This is where money's hiding right now. But if there's a reversal in the market, this is also where that will eventually show up here over the next couple of months. So again, just a bit of risk management portfolios, really nothing more than that. But when we come back from the break, we'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. We'll get into this whole, you know, COVID issue potentially. What does that mean for markets? What does that mean for profitability? What does that mean for your money? Talk about that coming up next on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. You got it tough. I've seen it tough When I know Baby, just how you You're listening to The Real Investment Show. And welcome to the show. Supporting 617, Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Live from his bat cave where he's laid up. <laughs> and I wish I had a bat cave. It wouldn't be so bad. I know every, some gadgets and toys, look, right? Every guy wants a bat cave, right? It's, it's, and, and for years, we've been trying to replicate the bat cave by moving into our garages. So <laughs> it's not nearly as cool, but, you know. If I don't start getting out of the house, I'm pretty sure I'll be sleeping in the garage. So, <laughs> Probably. Um, yeah. Probably. All right. Uh, coming out this morning, uh, quite a few earnings announcements, of course. Like I said, we're right really kind of in the, the heat of the moment. Uh, this morning, we've got Six Flags Entertainment, uh, Humana, Pfizer, Teledyne Technologies, uh, uh, CME Group. Uh, McDonald's just announced a few minutes ago and, of course, beat on top and bottom line. Moody's Corp, Boeing. General Dynamics, Bristol Myers, and Shopify uh, coming out this morning, and of course, Shopify is one of those kind of smaller, um, you know, tech companies that are are within the Nasdaq that you don't really see a lot about. But um, they've it's been one of the the bigger winners uh, since the COVID shutdown because people transitioning more to online shopping. Um, after the market today, of course, is the big one, which is Facebook. They'll report after the bell today. They're expecting adjusted earnings of three fifty three a share and revenue of about twenty seven point eight billion dollars. Ford also out today. Um, of course, all eyes are going to be on Ford about their transition to their electric vehicle uh, movement, right? So, you know, what are they talking about in terms of how many pre orders, how many sales, etc of those vehicles? Lamb Research, PayPal, of course, also after the bell. Xilinx uh, and ServiceNow. So again, we're right in the middle of the kind of this big earnings season, you know, week. And it's this week 
and part and really kind of wraps up next week. But um, today, tomorrow, Thursday in particular are going to be pretty much all your big fang stocks. Those are all announcing this week. And of course, that's really going to be part of the movement of the markets. And it's interesting because Again, you know, normally when you see companies announce earnings where they're beating by large margins on top and bottom line estimates, usually you see stocks up, you know, three, four, five percent, sometimes a whole lot more. Um, stocks really aren't getting rewarded for it because a lot of these earnings announcements have already been priced in to the stocks, right? Because there's already been such a big run up in, in a lot of the prices, particularly in these FANG stocks. And, and it was interesting last year. We were all talking about the value trades back, right? We've got to buy value stocks. Value stocks are back. It lasted about 37 minutes because that whole value trade has now left the market as money has now rotated back into the deflation trade of technology growth companies, which are companies that can generate lots of earnings, even in the midst of an economic slowdown. And, and what this is telling you, and, and this is what we've kind of been alluding to, is that first of all, uh, I've got an article coming out on Monday and then another a sequel to it coming out the following Monday, talking about the fact that we're, we just experienced peak earnings growth, uh, sorry, peak economic growth. So from here on out, the rate of growth is going to slow back towards 2% or less, and a lot of this has to do with the debt. The other problem with that is, of course, that's also where revenue growth comes from for these companies and where earnings growth come from. And, and again, with markets um, having already run up a lot in terms of expectations, you know, forward expectations are going to start to come down because this is probably the peak of the earnings growth for a lot of these companies. And this also has an impact from the fact that, that now we're starting to talk about, you know, COVID cases coming back. Um, yesterday, President Biden talking about potential mass mandates for federal workers. Of course, more more guidance from the CDC recommending uh, even vaccinated people go back to wearing a mask. Um, even some talk about shutdowns possibly um, as we start to see cases rise of this uh, of of COVID again, despite the fact that you've got the vaccines you know out to the into the population. So, you know that all has potential bearing and impact on economic growth if we make decisions that are going to lead us to step back into the into our bat caves danny um (laughs) um, that means we're going to be doing less right we're not going to be going out and eating we're not going to go out to bars we're not going out to restaurants And, and then and here we go we go we start to step back on all the things that we've done up to this point to try to get the economy back online danny your thoughts well, obviously, it's going to be extremely detrimental if that's the case. I mean, you start shutting everybody back in, and it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out longer term because we've talked about how you know, we see this big inflation push. And if you look at all the earnings calls as of recent, most CEOs have noted that there is some inflation that they're seeing, and they are concerned about the future. Right. So, you know, you look at Starbucks, you look at any of these companies, you know, regardless of industry, that seems to be a, a pretty prevalent sentiment. And so, you know, looking at that and, and thinking about what we've looked at moving forward on how we could see some deflationary aspect, looking at the year over year numbers. Look, we've seen those transient, um, you know, supply chain issues from an inflation standpoint. Now we're seeing some of the more permanent where like last week we saw Unilever come out and say they're going to increase prices yet again. Some of these other companies, I believe, will follow suit. What does that do when you start shutting everybody back down again? And mm-hmm. in fact, start thinking about some of the root causes of some of these issues was, you know, factory workers not having employment, 
um, things of that nature. Where does that put us once again? What is that? How does that impact the overall supply chain? And what is the long-term outlook? I mean, that's a great question for you in the sense of, you know, looking at the big picture, the macroeconomics behind it, probably much greater and it's probably a much bigger question than, you know, just what lies on the surface of, oh, do we shut down again? Do we not? Um, I, I think it's going to be difficult. I think that a lot of people this time will probably they're going to fight the system right. more often than not right now. Right. Well, I mean, um, I think you're, I think you're seeing that a lot already. There's a there's a good bit of hesitancy from a portion of the population to get vaccinated. And and look, I mean, you know, their reasonings are sound, right? I mean, you've got an untested vaccine. Um, you've got, you know, this, and it's not even a vaccine, right? It's a, it's a, it's a therapy. It's not even an actual vaccine. So there's a, a big chunk of the population that's like, hey, you know what? I'm just going to wait and kind of see what the effects of it are to see if there's any long-term side effects, you know, et cetera. So, you know, they can make a reasonable argument as to why they want to wait. Then you've got the other side of the population that's like, no, I'm getting vaccinated right now. Hey, great. That's awesome. Um, you know, and, and this is kind of your choice. But, you know, this is, you know, going to kind of lead back to this more concern about, well, why am I getting vaccinated if it doesn't protect me against, you know, every variant that comes out? And, you know, this is this is the whole situation with the flu vaccine, right? When you go get the, the flu vaccine, it covers you for basically five versions of the flu, and there's like 250 different variations of the flu. So, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot whether or not you get the right type of flu that, that keeps you from getting, you know, sick from the, and, and that the vaccine actually works. So, you know, there's a lot of arguments, logical on both sides for the case, and and but it comes back down to the point is to how people react, and I, I think you're right is that you know with a lot of people now getting back their freedom after being locked down, you know, for a year and they're back out into the economy, I think there's going to be a lot of resistance now, even from people that are vaccinated potentially about going back into lockdowns. Um, I just, you know, I'm not saying that's going to happen. It's just kind of a mention, um, you know, that was coming out in kind of the media yesterday talking about the potential, you know, potentially to start trying to lock down some areas, maybe sporting events, these type of things where you're getting a lot of people together. Um, you know, look, the NFL is just trying to get back, you know, into action <laughs> and, you know, Major League Baseball. And we're just trying to get people back into stadiums. You know, this I, I just think there's going to be a lot. My 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 view is that I just think there's, and I agree with you. I think there will be a lot of resistance to trying to shut down the economy again. I just I, I don't know how you get there without having riots in the street almost at, at this point. Um, but to your point about supply chain shutdowns, etc., that's going to be a, a bigger issue because again, we haven't even repaired. The supply chains that we have now if you take a look at a lot of these manufacturing indexes they're at record highs and it doesn't mean that manufacturing is is at record highs durable goods actually disappointed yesterday these are survey comparisons about how do you feel compared to last month and it's like okay well i feel better right um you know we're getting more orders in those are good you know we're gonna hire a couple more people that's great so that 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 comparison and sentiment is at a record high for a lot of these manufacturing uh, indexes. But again, now you're going to start to, to change that dynamic and you're going to start having a retraction in a lot of these sentiment surveys. And that's going to have an impact not just on the economy, but on the financial markets as well. Yeah, and that's that's the exact point is what happens just the mention of a shutdown. I mean, we're already seeing you know people kind of, uh, you know, 
upset about just the mention of a CDC mask mandate. <laughs> you think about a shutdown. What right. does that do to the markets, more importantly, especially while we're at these all-time highs? Once again, we're seeing markets that are that are pretty pretty lofty here. Like you've mentioned previously, price to perfection. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's just interesting kind of, too, as we as we kind of look, you know, at this, you know, one of the concerns is right now about, you know, where is the next level of support, right, for, you know, for the economy. And, and what I mean by that is, is that, you know, we did all these bailouts and stimulus, and that was due to the reasoning of, well, we shut the economy down, we have to provide this. Well, right now, there isn't really a need to do more of those types of stimulus programs, right? We don't really need to do $1,400 checks to households. But if you had another shutdown, as an example, um, then that would give you good backing to pass another round of stimulus bills. And, and this is interesting when you're coming up on the fact that you're about to hit the, the debt ceiling limit here in the next month or so. And we're talking about passing, you know, three to four to $5 trillion worth of a infrastructure package. And of course, now we're labeling everything infrastructure, right? Uh, child care is now human infrastructure, right? So that way we can shove it to a budget bill. But what people forget is, is that budget bill is not just $4 trillion for infrastructure. It's $4 trillion plus the other 4 to $5 trillion just to actually run the government that we run on continuing resolutions every year. So we're talking about massive increases in debt. And what would really help smooth the tracks to get that passed would be another government-driven shutdown of the economy. Now, that's conspiracy theory for you. But... I'm just saying, if you needed a push to try to pass the largest debt-issued you know, surge of capital in the history of the United States all at one time, that would certainly help smooth the process. Be right back after the break with Danny Ratliff. Don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. this morning so um danny ratliff joining me this morning um live from his lair of course as uh he's still in the recovery process how's how's your healing process going another uh three months oh no 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 i hope not <laughs> um you know day by day just taking it uh taking it easy so hopefully next couple weeks go back to the doctor here and uh get the go ahead the green light for pt so looking forward to doing some physical therapy and actually being able to move my knee again will be a blessing <laughs> well and this is what you get for trying to play basketball at your age so <laughs> yeah among among another uh, among many other things yeah absolutely yeah great uh, reminder i'm not nearly as, as young as i think i am and <laughs> that always the case right um, yeah. So a couple of things. Speak, speaking of athletics, uh, Simone Biles, um, Biles, sorry, um, she uh, of course uh, stepped out of out of the Olympic Games for you know mental reasons. Of course, I, you know there was. I think there's a lot of things maybe more behind that. But you know what does that have? You had an interesting point this morning that there's some interesting correlations between that and investing. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting. You look at Simone Biles, who is arguably the best gymnast. The the United States, arguably, maybe even the world has ever seen um, just well, yeah, a powerhouse. Especially, especially when they're talking about where they're going to have to curve her scores to give everybody else a chance, right? 
Yeah, and so she she is so good. But something happened, obviously, internally where she had to take a step back and say, look, you know, she is doing feats that are 10, 15 feet in the air. I know there's lots of controversy over this and saying, well, she should be ready. You know, you can't take a mental break here in the Olympics. There are many other people who are ready to go. But you also have to be cognizant of your own health. Right. And many times I think as an investor, we need to maybe take a lesson from actually Simone here in the sense of there's times that we can get over our skis, so to speak and not be prepared for what may come. And so, you know, knowing when you're maybe you're, you're too far ahead, I think in understanding when you need to take a step back, even some of the best pros will take a look at markets and say, hey, you know what, maybe it's now is the time for me to actually um, take a step back, understand what I'm doing, and go back to the rules and the disciplines that we set as an investor. And I think that this is a good reminder that even some of the best have to go do that and, and do that reset. And maybe you take a you take a seat and you have somebody else come in and so that's where i think we can make an argument of hiring a professional looking for people for guidance um understanding exactly you know what we're doing so anyways but, i think it's but, an but interesting point it, lots it, of controversy with it yeah no it is an interesting point because you know when it comes to investing i mean there's lots of controversy with that too right um, you know, there's a, there's an old adage um, in the financial markets. How do you make money in the markets? You sell high and buy low. The problem is, is the media never tells you to sell ever. So when markets are going up, it's like got to keep buying, right? You're a new high. You you buy, keep buying, right? Markets are new high. They're going up. Got to keep buying. But uh, again, I think the, the point you make is good because we do need to step back and evaluate. You know, I'm I'm buying companies that I really have no idea what they do. Um, and I have no idea what their earnings are. I have no idea where their revenue comes from, but they're going up. So I'm just buying them because I read about it on some Reddit chat window, right? Then, you know, that's, that's the point. I think you've got to step back here a bit and go, what the hell am I doing? Because it may be working now. And this is the one thing about bull markets that they typically become very brutal teachers, which is, you know, during bull markets, you're forgiven for the mistakes, investing mistakes that you make, right? So, you know, your whatever event you're doing, okay, let's take your basketball playing, right? You've been playing basketball for a while, felt a little pain here and there, but you're like, ah, I'm fine, right? I'm just a little older, it's all good. And then one day you wake up and uh, now you're laid up for, you know, six months. It's the same thing in the market. You know, the market and during a bull market, the market will forgive you for those little mistakes and it'll bail you out. So, you know, you buy something, it goes down and you're like, oh, that didn't work out quite right. But then it runs right back up. And you're like, oh, OK, so it's fine. Well, those little pains were telling you that there was something wrong with those investments. And then one day you're going to wake up and you're going to realize the mistakes of your portfolio. And, and this is this is the thing, right, is that, you know, the bull markets will forgive you for a lot of things, but if you don't start taking some action and cleaning up those mistakes and adjusting for those mistakes, there will be a point that the market doesn't forgive you for it. In fact, will punish you for it, and, and brutally so. And you know that's one of those things that it takes a long time to recover from. But if we kind of listen to the pains and the aches along the way and say, okay, I'm, you know, I've got a little pain, so I'm going to not do that for a while, or I'm going to change what I'm doing. You know, then you can go through these these periods without getting you know majorly damaged. But that's the thing that that we don't listen to. You know, and you know, talking about Simone, it's a good, it's a great example. You know, it's not it's not a decision that people like. And again, when you talk about selling and you know it's, markets are running up, so why are you taking profits? Right? People don't like to hear that. 
Um, if you say anything bearish about the markets, you're tagged as bearish, right? And you know, don't don't listen to them. They're bearish, right? Only listen to the bulls. That's confirmation bias. You know, we're not. Nobody's happy about Simone stepping down, but it may it maybe it was the right thing for her, and it might be the right thing for you to start thinking about the risk that you're actually taking in your portfolio and potentially what the outcomes are going to be. Well, we hear so frequently that you know everybody should you know get out at the top and maybe that's exactly what she's doing and you know it's easy to make money when everything is going up but what do you do when things are going down and do you actually do you step aside at right. that point that's the one thing that most people can't do you know you talk about the easy thing you know sell sell uh, high buy low but unfortunately most people don't do that if i had a dollar for every time i've visited with a couple and you know they're walking out of the office and uh the wife will pull me aside and say hey we really need some help he's never made any money <laughs> and it we always do the wrong thing. It's because it's emotional, right? Yeah. We think that, oh, you know, everybody's in. We need to make money while we can. And then when things go wrong, you think, oh, my goodness, I can't, you know, I'm going to work for the rest of my life. I, you know, this is all we have. We work so hard for our family. It's our security. And so we'll bail. And it's human nature. And that's the hardest thing to fight, I think, when we talk about investing. I know. Uh, and look, it, it, the reality is, is that everybody's got the, the plan, right? Everybody's got the plan that when this market rolls over, they're going to sell and get out. Um, and Mike Tyson once said that everybody has a plan to get punched in the face. And that's, yeah. that's the truth of the market, right? Which is everybody's got a plan. It's like, oh yeah, as soon as, as soon as this market stops going up, I'll sell everything. I'll just go to cash. It'll be fine. No worries. But the reality is, is when the psychology kicks in and the market starts going down, it's like, okay, well, it's just a little correction. We've seen this a lot, right? We're at the 50 day moving average. Actually, I'm going to buy some, right? Because we're at the 50 day moving average. And then it starts to go down some more. Um, and you go, okay, well, as soon as it gets back to the 50-day moving average, I'll sell that so I can break even on what I just bought. Um, and then it goes down some more. And then you say, well, okay, well, as soon as it gets back, as soon as it bounces a little bit here, then you know I'll, I'll, I'll sell some and I'll, and I'll get out. And then it gets to the 200-day moving average. It's like, okay, well, we're at support now, so I'm going to buy it. And so you buy it. You put a lot of money in the market, the 200-day moving average. You're convinced that that's the bottom, and then it goes lower. Um, and this is a psychological trap. And, and again, when the market starts to punch you in the face, the best laid plans go right out the window. <laughs> and, and especially when it's Mike Tyson that hits you in the face, that typically happens. Um, but you know this. And, but this happens to investors repeatedly. And this is all. This is all psychology. And you know this idea that you've got control over markets, you don't. And you know this is as soon as you get caught in that site. That as soon as that market corrects, and your first instinct is to say, "Well, as soon as it gets back, you've already lost." Right? That's you're in the trap. As soon as those words come out of your mouth, and that's where everybody winds up to eventually, and why people lose so much money in markets when you do get corrections. But Danny, we don't have corrections in markets anymore, so don't worry about it. Or fundamentals, for that matter. Or fundamentals. Um, Roth IRA for kids. Fidelity now starting this one. I got a question about this. Don't you have to? Don't you have to work to contribute to a Roth? You have to have some type of income, but it could be from street sweeping. It could be from babysitting. I mean, there could be a number of different ways that you know a child could have some income. So basically, I could give my kids, and I could just give my kids money and say it's for allowance, and then they could put that into the Roth IRA. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly visit with your CPA. I'm sure there's a little bit of gray area there with that. But, you know, most <laughs> well, kids aren't, that, even child, aren't even filing tax returns. Right. Well, that's my whole point is, is that the Roth IRA and the IRA, right, that's, that's all earned income, right? So you have a W-2 or 1099, whatever it is, to back up that income. So I'm just trying to figure out how do you get around the tax rules 
to create a Roth IRA for kids that aren't of legal age to work. Well, look, if your child had, say, $5,000 of income, you're probably not filing a tax return. Right. Um, the issue will be is that if the IRS ever came and audited you, your child, um, you know, and there was supposed to be a 1099 filed, you know, this could be, become a nightmare in some of these aspects. Now, granted, this probably doesn't happen as often as what most people would think, but there are there are there is the ability for you to go out and actually utilize a, a Roth IRA for kids. And I think it's a great way to get somebody started. And I like the aspect of it as well is because these funds are truly intended for retirement. Um, they're not just an account that's a 529 or another account that, um, you know, where you're just putting funds aside that they have access to, like a uniform transfer to minors account. Um, this is purely for retirement. So if you can do so, I'd visit with your CPA and see if this is an option because this is a great way to get your kids started on the right foot for retirement. And, you know, it's like you've seen all these charts. My dad used to show me this like every other week when I was little. Um, like, hey, if you put $2,000 every year and you made 8%, but obviously that 8% was, was stagnant. It was always right. 8%. You know, rule of 72, you're going to have, um, you know, $2 million. Right. And, you know, Sounds great. you show the, the chart from when you're 18 to 30 and then you stop investing and then when you start at 30 and you, you invest all the way till you're 60 when you're 18 to 30 and you stop that actually made more money um so however what's, what's interesting though is, is this sets up great party tricks so you know i'll be available so if you do this i am i am available to come to your house dressed up as an irs agent to audit your kids <laughs> that way we can teach your kids the value of an irs audit at the same time <laughs> now, now you're talking right so <laughs> All right, be right We're back. Have to, we had to be careful. You have a, a 1099 for that side gig, though, Lance. <laughs> exactly. Be right back after the break. Don't go away. <laughs> Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Everybody get up! Take your questions, comments, your force. Uh, if you're watching our live stream uh, on our YouTube channel, feel free to go by there, jump into the chat window, join the conversation, ask questions, comments, and one of the best comments this morning is Danny will do anything to keep working from home. So, so probably that is probably the, the case that we're going to have here for a while, <laughs> for sure. Well, you know, you guys have set me up here so nicely. It's been great. Um, like, hey, we could do the radio show from anywhere. Oh, no, no, no. You need to come to the studio. And, and now, I mean, look at this. It's great. Yeah, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> ah, too funny. Anyway, um, so a few questions on our YouTube channel. One uh, kind of really talking about fundamentals. And, you know, it's kind of interesting when you, when you talk about fundamentals coming into play. You know, it doesn't really seem like fundamentals matter much anymore, right? I mean, you know, we talk about things like price to sales, price to earnings, and, you know, it's it's been such a long time now that the market's just kind of risen. I mean, we're up 100% from the lows of 2020. I mean, you've had a massive run in the markets just in, just in the last, you know, 15 months. It's been just quite phenomenal. And there's nothing wrong with that, um, but what it does is it starts to push investors to the point where it's like, oh, 
fundamentals don't matter. Um, there was an article. I'm going to be. I'm going to write an article, kind of a rebuttal article here soon. But there was an article by Mark Hulbert over at MarketWatch um, recently saying that you know valuations don't really work anymore. So we need to modify the way we look at at valuations. Well, that's wrong. Um, valuations do work. They just may not be working at the moment because we're choosing to ignore them. It doesn't mean that valuations are broken. And this is the this is the problem that we run into when we start trying to rationalize what markets do and say, okay, well, this time is different because of low interest rates. Well, there's nothing in history that shows that low interest rates justify high valuations. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. Every time in history we've had low interest rates and high valuations, bad outcomes have happened for investors over the next 20 to 30 years. It's been very brutal. Uh, Post-1929, 60s and 70s, I mean, it's just, it's just been quite brutal for investors. And so we keep trying to come up with all these new excuses why this time is different. It's not. It's not different. It's just different at the moment. And this is kind of one of the questions I'm getting a lot lately by email. So if you go by our website and have a question, simply click the Ask a Question button. We answer every question every day, realinvestmentadvice.com. Um, but as, as I'm getting a lot of questions lately about, well, I've got a lot of cash. Should I invest? You know, what should I do? Should I just put it under a mattress? No, you've got to invest for where the markets are right now. The markets are going up. We need to make money. We need to invest. Our portfolios are, are nearly fully invested. We're not, we, we are holding a little bit higher levels of cash at the moment, but um, when we were fully invested, actually we, we were overweight equities earlier this year. And, you know, we've reduced that here recently. Uh, just to hedge our risk a bit. But we have to participate with markets because we've got to make money for our clients. And this is one of the problems we run into is that we allow our emotions, which is, oh my gosh, the market's overvalued. I can't invest here. Understanding that valuations can take a very long time to play out. We have to invest. The question is, is how do we do it and mitigate risk? And that's where, as you, as you were talking about early, Danny, uh, you know, this is where having rules and a discipline and approach and, you know, these type of things in place allow you to navigate the markets for what they are rather than what we want them to be. Right. Well, that's right. I mean, if we looked at prices, we could be in the bunker for the last several years. I mean, <laughs> this is a this, that's a difficult argument. And that's one that we hear daily is that, hey, look, I've been on the sidelines. I know I need to invest, but I just don't feel like right now is the right time. We let our emotions get in the way. And, you know, there's been people who've been in the, in the bunker for years. And But I think what you, you said matters the most is having that strategy to get out when needed or to reduce and mitigate risk by reducing that exposure. I mean, that's going to be key, having cash on hand when you do get those, those uh, opportunities to actually utilize those funds to invest, which so many people don't because you're fully invested at all times. You don't have that opportunity to take advantage of those ebbs and flows in markets. And I think that's one of the important parts of it. And then also that capital preservation, obviously, number one, I think that's just so crucial. And then understanding what what is somebody's real goal? You know, we I think we've been distorted with markets the way they've been. And then this big advertising push of, you know, hey, just invest in the ETF. Don't worry about it. Set it and forget it. But we have we've long forgotten about how cycles work and what actually happens, the negative consequences of writing something all the way down. And furthermore, writing it down and being in retirement and needing it to take distributions, now you're, you're never getting back to even. Right. 
Well, and that's and that's and that's kind of the point earlier in the show today. We were talking about you know we've got record inflows through the first half of this year. We've got record inflows into ETFs greater than any other full year in history, right? So by the time we finish this year, if everything keeps going the way we're going, this is going to be an unprecedented flow of capital into ETFs. And look, there's nothing wrong with ETFs, right? This whole idea of passive indexing is fine um, as long as markets are going up. But what people forget is is there this is leverage in the markets. It's an, it's an unknown leverage, but it's leverage nonetheless because an ETF is simply a an instrument of underlying individual stocks or potentially underlying ETFs that are ETFs of other stocks. So eventually, if somebody starts to sell these ETFs for any reason whatsoever, and people are selling Apple at the same time, right? So most of these ETFs own Apple. Um, and so if something's going on with Apple and I'm selling Apple and then all the ETFs that own Apple start selling the ETFs, you're going to get a magnified selling pressure on those underlying companies, which will exacerbate the downturn of the markets. And it will create a liquidation event like we saw in March of 2020. And this is why you had a 35% correction in a month, right? Bear markets normally take several months. They take between 8 and 12 months normally for a bear market to complete itself, sometimes a little bit longer. We did a full bear market 35%. Actually, it, was, it wasn't technically a bear market. It was a big correction, but we had a 35% correction in three weeks. And that was because once those ETFs started to liquidate, it liquidated all the underlying securities and you had this massive outflow of capital all at one time. And that's the real risk here is that going forward, because of these ETFs and because of this idea of passive indexing, is that bear markets are going to be more brutal and swifter than we've ever seen historically. In other words, bear markets occurring in over a function of one to three months is probably going to become more of the norm than what we've seen historically. And the problem with that is, is that investors have no opportunity to get out of the markets because as you saw back in March, we had one bounce that lasted two days in that entire decline. And then the market went straight down to the bottom. And we were down four, five, six percent day after day after day. There was simply, you know, investors going, hey, if I get a bounce here, I'll sell out. They never got a bounce to sell into. And that and, and really, you just got to pick your point and say, that's where I'm out and I'm out and I'll figure it out later. But that's why most investors got swept up into that full decline, because there was never an opportunity for them to exit the market safely. Well, and I think, though, this this a little bit misleading what happened last year is that, you know, we saw one of the quickest recoveries as well. You know, you got three week mm -hmm. bounce and then you see this recovery that happened so quickly. Investors were bailed out. In fact, Rich calls it the Yogi Bear market. You know, the Fed came along with a picnic basket and helped everybody out. And hey, boo -boo. will that always be the case? That's going to be a tough argument to make. And then you don't have that true price discovery where we can go through and sift through the rubble because everybody's been liquidated. And then you can find some really good companies at good prices. That's, I think, where this thing gets a lot more. Uh, it gets a lot more fun on our side of the table from an investing standpoint. When not just, I mean, look back at last year. A lot of the things that went up was pure junk. Right. I mean, you couldn't make an argument to go buy half these companies. <laughs> but but again, you didn't have to, right? And and this is the one thing that we've trained the investors to do very well is like as soon as the Fed shows up, buy the worst possible fundamental companies because those will go up the most because of speculation. And the question is going to be, this is going to be an interesting situation for the Fed 
is they're at zero interest rates, so they can't lower interest rates anymore. Um, they're already doing $120 billion a month in QE. If something breaks in the markets now, what are you going to do? Um, and this is one of the challenges the Fed's going to face here over the course of the next few months. And one of the biggest risks to the markets is they've got to some point figure out how to start extracting themselves from QE so they can have QE available for whatever the next event is down the road. Because there will be another event what, for whatever reason. And it, and it will be driven by the Fed. It's always driven by the Fed. But they've got to start putting themselves in the positions for that, but they really can't at this point because now they've got themselves socked into this corner of, well, we're not, we know we want full employment at 3%. You know, we want inflation to run hot and Hey, you're getting it all right. You're getting dropping employment rates. You're getting inflation running hot, but now the inflation's running hot. It's like, Oh, well, don't worry. It's transient. Well, now you're in the box, right? You've now, you've now pulled the investor mistake. I'll, as soon as it as soon as the price rallies back, I'll sell it. Now the Fed's in a box of, well, it's not really inflation. It's just transient. So I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing that's causing the inflationary pressure, right? And and this is going to be an interesting box that they have to try to extract to extract themselves out of over the next few months. And I think that we're seeing price creep along many different staples and items that we mm -hmm. historically haven't seen much price increases over where, you know, you're seeing, you know, 15 cent, 20 cent moves that you probably don't realize if you're just pulling something off the aisle. But once you get to the register and it all adds up, it starts to become rather significant over time. Yeah, no, it actually does. I mean, food costs are definitely going up. You know, gas costs are up. Housing costs up 18 percent in a month. You know, there's no inflation, though. Don't worry about that. New cars are selling at the same price as used cars now. So, you know. Yeah. Look no, the other way. Yeah, exactly. I think Just, there was like a there was less than a thousand dollar difference between a new car and a used car yeah, on it's, average. It's crazy. Why would I buy a used car? Anyway, all right, wraps up the show today. Danny Ratliff, thanks so much. Of course, get by our website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Uh, the latest article from Michael Ebowitz is out on the website this morning, actually talking about inflation. That's on the website. Stick around though on our YouTube channel because three minutes on markets and money will be coming up here soon. And stay tuned because hopefully by the end of this week, we're gonna have our brand new website up and launched. So we're just through the final few little tweaks on that. That's all coming your way at realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you tomorrow. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.